Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. A reading from Joel, chapter 2. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I am sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from Second Peter, chapter 1. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplant your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the sixth chapter. Glory be to you, O Lord. Jesus said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, 
so that you are giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you despise nothing you have made, and forgive the sins of all who are penitent. Create in us new and contrite hearts, that lamenting our sins and acknowledging our wretchedness, we may receive from you full pardon and forgiveness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Our Lord instructs us to return to him because we, as the prophet Isaiah has reminded us, all we, like sheep, have gone astray, that we have all turned each one of us into our own ways, that we have, like the people at the end of the book of Judges, that we have all done what is right in our own eyes. We have decided for ourselves what we should do and what we should leave undone. We've decided for ourselves what we should say or not say. We have decided for ourselves what we ought to believe or not believe, what we ought to confess or not confess. And so the Lord instructs us in his mercy and for our own good to return to him. That he alone, as he has told us, that he alone is the way and that he alone has instructed us then on what that way looks like. This is what the commandments are. Now, hopefully you remember this from your catechism instruction, the three uses of the law, the three ways in which the commandments interact with us as the Lord's Christians, that they are the curb, that is the thing that keeps us in bounds, shows us where the boundaries are, of God's creation are according to our vocations, that it is a mirror which holds up in front of us our actual reflection, what we look like according to God's standard, and it is the guide, the, the map of where we are to walk, where we are to go. And tonight, then, we are concerned primarily with these second two, the Lord's commandments as our mirror and as our guide. 
This is, in fact, what we just sang about a moment ago. You have this law to see therein that you have not been free from sin. That is the mirror of the law. But also that you clearly see how pure toward God's life should be. That is mirror as well, but it is also guide. It shows us how we are to walk. And so first we have God's mirror, which shows us the reflection of our true selves according to God, not according to our standards or someone else's standards, but only according to God's standard. Now, one of the fundamental issues that we face as the Lord's fallen creatures is that our sin blinds us to itself. Our sin makes it so that we cannot see our own sinfulness. Because of this, we tend to think that we are much better than we actually are. Now, this is rather similar then to nose blindness, if you are familiar with that concept. Uh, we have a friend up north who is a pig farmer, and he's around the pigs all the time, so much so that he doesn't uh, smell any longer the stench of the pigs, and he doesn't smell when he comes home that the stench of the pigs is on him. Somebody has to tell him, you stink, you need to go take a shower. He's become nose blind to his own stinkiness. But this is exactly what happens to us in our sin as well. We become blind to our sin. The sin itself blinds us. And so, in order that we would see ourselves as we ought to see ourselves, the Lord in his mercy gives to us the commandments to show that to us. Now, we have, very helpfully, there's been a variety of tools developed in the church historically, and one of them you have on the back table back there. It is called the Beichtspegel, the confessional mirror. And what this is, it's a series of pointed questions for each of the commandments that allow us to be introspective on each of the commandments and how we have transgressed against them. So, for example, you get in the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We're taught these questions. To whom have I looked for the highest good? Have I doubted God's word and thus committed idolatry by seeking my highest good from other sources? Which one was more important when I made my daily decisions, God or myself? What do I fear? What do I love? What do I trust more than my God? Have good times deluded me into thinking that I am in control? Am I tempted to think that I have God and everything I need when I have money and earthly goods? Have bad times caused me to despair and lose hope and trust in God? Have I doubted God's love for me when I have money problems, loss of possessions, sickness, or injury? Have I been discontent with what God has spoken of, of himself and, and Jesus in the scriptures? Have I put my own notions or the notions of others above what the scriptures say about God? And it continues. It's still not even the end of the first commandment questions. And we can see then, just from this series of questions, we're not even close. And just on that commandment, we realize that we have not directed ourselves toward God as we ought to. And that's just the first table. That's just commandments one through three, much less commandments four through ten. We realize there that we haven't directed ourselves toward our neighbor as we ought to either. And so when we see ourselves then rightly, based on God's standard, then the Lord can finally do his work of bringing us to repentance. We're brought to see that we have sinned against the Lord and that we have sinned against our neighbor and that we cannot free ourselves from that sinful condition, that we need somebody else to come in and free us from it. That we need to be redeemed by the Lord himself. 
Then, after the Lord has held up this mirror for us and brought us to this repentance, once we have been turned around and pointed in the direction we ought to go, the Lord holds the law up for us again, but this time not as a mirror, but as a guide. And so this is then the second thing that he's doing. He holds the law up for us as a guide or a map on where we ought to go. And as an example of this, we have the the whole litany of things that St. Peter lists for us in the epistle, but we also have, and we'll consider this for a minute, what Jesus lays out for us in the gospel. That Jesus gives us these three things that are to be a part of our Christian life, that we are to give, that we are to pray, and that we are to fast. And you should note that all of these are prefaced by our Lord with this statement, when you dot, 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 when you give, when you pray, when you fast, the Lord expects us to give, pray, and fast. They're not options for the Christian. They are simply part of the Christian life. They are part of the path that the Lord has laid out before us that we should walk on it. The law, in its guiding use, in its use as our map, points us in the direction of these things so that we would live toward God and live toward one another rightly. Now, with all good works, with all these things, there is a danger. And so Jesus warns us of this danger at the outset. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, we should note that Jesus is not saying don't practice your righteousness. In fact, if you read the epistle, St. Peter very clearly says practice these things, work at them. Jesus isn't saying anything different here. He's also not saying don't practice your righteousness before other people. And if you look at what he's saying, that would actually be kind of silly. It would mean that we should never, if we're out eating in public, pray over our meals because other people might see us praying. What Jesus is warning us about is what the motivation is behind these things, that we should not give or pray or fast with the intent of receiving the praise of men, with the intent of being seen by others that we may receive their commendation. Therefore, we walk by the Lord's commandments and we do all these things, working as for God, not for men. And this includes our praying and our giving and our fasting. We don't do these things because of some reward which we may or may not get from men, but rather because God has given them to us for our good, for us to do, to support ourselves and to support our neighbor. We give not to be seen and praised by men, but for the support of the preaching of the gospel and for the support of my neighbor who needs every physical need. We pray not to be seen and commended by men, but to ask for the Lord for the things which my neighbor needs in this life, which I need in this life, and to pray that the Lord would preserve the church in faithfulness. We fast not to be seen or praised by men, but to aid us in our meditation on the gifts that God has given to us in creation, and to direct ourselves on what we ought to repent of in the process so that we would stand not under the Lord's wrath, but under his mercy and forgiveness. And the same holds true, not just for giving and praying and fasting, but for the entirety of the commandments. This is how we live under them. They're not options on whether we live in this way, but they are expected by the Lord. And so the Lord sends to us his law, his commandments, so that we would first be brought to repentance 
And second, so that he would guide us on the path in which we are to walk in that repentance. And thanks be to God that the Lord's law has, at least in some part, had its way with you. The fact that you are sitting here tonight is, in fact, evidence of that. But we should remember that the law is not the end for the Christian. It is only the beginning. The law is preparing us for hearing another word, and that is the word of the blessed gospel. As the mirror of the law has shown us, we have not lived or believed or spoken or otherwise acted as we ought. And so the Lord has, in order to forgive those sins, to redeem us, he has sent to us his Son, Christ, our brother, our Redeemer, our Lord, and our God, to take upon himself those very sins, that we would be brought to repentance and forgiveness and life eternal. Christ, on the cross, takes the punishment that you rightly deserve for breaking God's law. Christ, in his death, carries the wrath of God against your sin in his very body. Christ, in his suffering, bears up all of your guilt and all of your shame and all of your offenses. Every time you've broken God's law by what you've done or said or thought, every time you have failed to keep God's law by any act of neglect, Jesus carries all of it, every bit, all of it piled upon him. Because in Jesus, God is making him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus, we would be the righteousness of God. In Jesus, your your God is being merciful to you by not counting your trespasses against you and instead covering them with the blood of his beloved Son. As we prayed at the beginning of the service, have mercy on all, O Lord, and abhor nothing you have made. You look past the sins of men that they may repent. You spare them all because you are our Lord and God. In Christ, the Lord has been merciful and gracious to you as he has promised and he has baptized you into his salvation. In Christ, the Lord has been slow to anger and abounds in steadfast love toward you. And so you have been absolved all of your sins. In Christ, the Lord relents over your disaster and instead feeds you with his very body and blood. The Lord has commanded you to live in righteousness before him and in his mercy, he has given you in Christ that very righteousness by which you are to live. And so this evening, you have placed upon your forehead the same sign that was placed upon you in your baptism, the sign of the most holy cross. This cross on your head, it is the sign of your sin, and it is also the sign of your salvation. It is the sign that you, in your trespasses and sin, have been killed by the law, and it is the sign that in your baptism you have been raised by the gospel to eternal life. Jesus has marked you, dear saints, as his own children, and he has prepared a place for you in the resurrection. And he has given you then a path to walk in this life until we attain that crown of life. Let us then with all diligence and faith walk the road Christ has walked before us 
and which he has laid out for our sake. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please rise. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.